0: The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Hey, it's good to be in the room with you. My name is uh, Brent Thomas. It was funny, I was talking to somebody and they said, oh, any relation uh, to Pastor Dan? And I was like, no, why would you think that? And then I was like, oh, last name. Um, but but uh, I, I did uh, grow up in the area and Pastor Dan was my Bible teacher in high school. So this is kind of a cool full circle moment for me of um, a man who poured into me a lot with God's word to be able to come to his congregation and share the word as well. So it is a joy to be with you. I'm a pastor over at Gospel City Church. And uh, we love what the Lord is doing here at community, and so grateful to partner with you today. Um, wanted to start off this morning with just a, a simple question: Would you just raise your hand if you own any amount of tools in your home? Like, there's just a good set. Yeah, a lot of people in the room. Some of you, it's like a little set that's like pink handle hammer, and it's like you tack things with it, right? There's some of you, how many of you have tools like in your car right now? You could go, yeah, okay, there's <laughs> a few of you. Um, if I was like, hey, I need you to build something, you're like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. Um, I I try to be handy. I like to pretend that I am handy. I I own DeWalt tools, which I feel like is like a status thing for me. Brushless, if anyone was asking. No, but uh, I'm not as handy as like my father or people that I know. If I have something that needs to be done correctly, I'll usually call somebody else. But if I want to kind of DIY it, I'll I'll try some things. Um, So we understand the concept of, of building and tools, and using them to accomplish something in our life. I was reminded this week of a story of, um, there was an elderly carpenter who had... uh most of his life spent building and uh, had mastered his craft and he was getting ready to retire. And so he goes to his employer contractor and he says, hey, I'm done. That was the last house I'll ever build. And uh, um, I'm hanging it up the hammer. I'm going to go spend time with my family. I'm I'm ready to retire. And the employer was obviously very sad because this man uh, was amazing at his craft and he had built beautiful homes for him and had done amazing things for the company. And so he's like, Hey, I I hate to ask this. Can I just ask for one more favor? Can you build one more house for me? And the carpenter reluctantly agreed, but he had a relationship with this man. And so he said, yes, of course, I'll I'll do one more. But a couple weeks into his work, it was very apparent his heart was not in it. He had kind of already mentally checked out. He was across the finish line. He was ready to be retired. And so he kind of phoned it in, which was something that he didn't always do. And um, he skipped some corners and kind of made it as quick as possible, can I get this house done so I can step into retirement? And so the day came where his uh, employer came to check the house, and before he even walked into the home, he handed the man the keys, and he said, this is my gift to you. This is your home. And you can imagine the feeling that this carpenter felt in that moment of realizing that the house that he had spent the least amount of time on, the least passion, was probably the most important house he would have ever built. And now he woke up every morning and he looked at the corners that didn't quite meet and he looked at the little places where he had skipped some steps and he was reminded that his legacy was now going to be the guy who didn't do as well as he could have. And that's a, a simple story. You might hear it at a graduation uh, ceremony or something to kind of inspire you, but um, the simple thing that I want to encourage you in this morning is this. I left my clicker down there, so I'm going to Miss my, I don't want to miss my notes, but here's, here's the simple truth this morning, is that right now, ready, boom, that one, okay, if it doesn't work, you guys can click through, that'd be awesome, um, we often spend more effort building things that will not last, while the things that will last, we spend no effort building. So that's kind of our our big idea. And I think we can see that as true, that sometimes we spend a lot of time and energy on things in our life that will ultimately not matter. They will burn. They will go away. And the things that matter the most, we might regret that we didn't spend any time building. And so the retiring carpenter story is is an easy place to see that. But I also think God's word is infinitely more important for us to see that. And then to think about how can we do it differently? How can we not have that true of our lives? So open your Bibles to Psalm 127, Psalm 127. I know that uh, you guys have been in a series through Genesis and last week Pastor Dan uh, was talking about marriage and this morning we're going to kind of take a little off ramp into the Psalms to talk about building a legacy and what that means for us this morning. So Psalm 127, as you're turning there, it's one of only two psalms written by King Solomon, who, if you know King Solomon, he was the son of David, who is the author of the majority of the psalms. So this is one of two that Solomon wrote himself. And we know that uh, it's a psalm of ascent. It will say that, which just means, so Jerusalem was located on a hill, and as uh, the Jewish people would go to worship, they would have to ascend. They would have to go up. And so they would write specific psalms that they would actually sing. Right? And so I asked Adam if he would just come up and sing Psalm 127. I'm just kidding. Adam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? I'll just read it for us this morning. We don't have to sing it um, as the Jewish people would have, um, but I think he could do it. Old McDonald, you just one, two, three. No, we won't do that. All right, here it is Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." Now, as we dig into this psalm, we're going to see two distinct takeaways as we're considering how to build a legacy the way that God intends for us to have a legacy. And the first thing we need to realize is that we need to build dependently. Build dependently. Look back at verse 1 to see this. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now I think it's significant that Solomon is is writing this psalm and he uses this type of language um, because Solomon knew a, a thing or two about building a house. And Solomon knew a thing or two about legacy with that building. See, back in 2 Samuel 7, David says that he wants to build a house for the Lord. But because of uh, the blood on David's hand, the Lord says, you can't. I I can't have that from you, but someone in your family will. And so enter, son Solomon comes in and the Lord says that you're going to build me this house. House And uh, Solomon didn't just put up four walls and a roof and do it as cheap as he could have. Uh, In today's currency, the estimated worth of just the gold and silver used to build Solomon's temple is an estimated 216 billion dollars. So just try to imagine a home worth 216 billion dollars. The magnificence, the esteem, how gorgeous the architecture would have been. I mean, it's mind-blowing. I've I've seen the, you know, the House Hunters million dollar episodes, right? I've seen the crazy houses before from billionaires, but nothing can even Uh, comprehend this in my mind, right? The Buckingham Palace is estimated at 2.9 billion and the temple is 216 billion. So yet Solomon, who, who knew a thing or two about a beautiful home, he makes this staggering statement in the opening of his psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. All that gold, all that silver, all that amazing work is meaningless. It's worthless unless the Lord is in it. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the church, that where two or three are gathered, the Lord is there. That is what brings the power to the church, not the size or the structure itself. So to build dependently, we need to be dependent on God's plan. Dependent on God's plan. Because otherwise it's a waste of time. And plans are important. My wife and I are fascinated by the idea of renovating a home. We've owned uh, five homes now in our marriage, been married almost nine years now, and we've lived in five different homes. And this, this last home that we just purchased as we moved back uh, to the South Bend area was an opportunity for us to like flip the home. And uh, so I, again, uh, like I said, don't come to my house and look for a Perfect craftsmanship, but I learned some things along the way. Um, but we're just, we love the idea of like all oh, get changing things and doing things ourselves. But I, I know my limitations and so you hire certain people to do things and our dream someday would be to build our own house. How awesome would that be? You could make every decision and build it from the ground up. Some of you may have done that in your lives, right? It's just this whole process um, but I can't imagine that I would walk into that process with any sort of I know everything. I would be looking for a lot of advice from other people and uh, we love to watch the shows, right, that kind of walk through these things like Chip and Joanna Gaines and these people who, who flip homes and, and redo homes, and how crazy would it be if you like, I like, won the opportunity for Chip to come out and to teach me how to build a house, and he's going to do all the work. How crazy would it be for me to say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. If you could just sit over there, I'm going to do the majority of the work. I got an idea of what I want, and now I'm on YouTube, like, Googling how to do things, and he's just sitting there like, what? And I'm like, no, I got this. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, but just kind of sit in the background. That would be ludicrous of me to think that I somehow knew more than the master craftsman in that moment. But we so often do that in our lives, don't we? we? We ask God to take a back seat and we say, God, I kind of have a great plan for my life. So if you could just kind of be along and, and I can kind of use you as like a status thing that you're here over my life. But I, I want to do all the work and I want to make these things accomplish. And Solomon is calling us out in this and saying that unless the Lord does it, it's all in vain. There's nothing that matters. You have to be dependent upon God's plan. We have to see the parallel of our life and how we build it and the things that we pursue and asking God to be the one who's giving us the plan. So we need to be dependent upon God's plan, but we also need to be dependent upon God's protection. All right, look at the other half of verse one. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So even back in Solomon's day, people were obsessed with once they built something, they now needed to do everything they could to protect it. And they didn't have, um, you know, nest or ring doorbells or things like that that they could put up. And so they had watchmen over the towers. They had people that would take shifts to make sure that everything they had was guarded. And it used to be really expensive for us as people to put up a security system to know that our home was protected. And now you have all these startup companies that will, uh, a couple bucks a month, and you now have ultimate protection over your home, or so we think something that will guard what we have built. Most neighborhoods have a neighborhood watch group, people that are keeping an eye on the neighborhood. Our cities and states have law enforcement with the uh, intention to protect. Our country spent over $800 billion on defense last year. Why? Because when we build something, there's a very strong desire to protect it to make sure that nobody can ruin it. John Calvin says that verse one is an objection to the blind arrogance of men who so often take credit for what God has done. Here's a quote from him. He says, Politicians and intellectuals discuss at length and in-depth how to govern a nation and control crime. But they admit the principal point that however brilliant their policies, they will achieve nothing unless God blesses their endeavors by using them as instruments to do his will. Thus the Holy Spirit rebukes the folly of assuming good management will bring genuine happiness to a nation when a government, when a government neglects to give God his rightful place on his divine throne. And this is so true of us. We are fascinated and consumed by the idea of protecting our country. But at the end of the day, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the, watchman, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And as dependent builders, we must be dependent on God's plan, his protection, but we also have to be dependent on God's provision. God has to be the one who provides. Verse two reads, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Any fans of sleep at church this morning? (laughs) Right, I came to church just to tell you, get more sleep, go home, take a nap. All right, let's pray. Uh, No, but this is what it's saying. It's saying we are so... uh, on the, like, the society of giving so much over to our work and the anxious toil, right? We live in the hustle and grind culture. We got the wake, pray, slay mugs. We got the, my dreams are too important for sleep type mentality. And so we, we over-caffeinate, we overwork, we stay up way too late, and then we get up and we do it all again the next day. Also that we can squeeze as, as much as we can out of each day in this world, it's a badge of honor, right? And when people say, hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm just so busy. Just so, life's so busy right now. That's like our badge of honor that we wear. And, and I, I believe that the Lord is not honored by our busyness. The Lord is not honored by how much you can do. The Lord is honored by your dependence on his provision. We're so good at eating the bread of anxious toil, right? We work and strive to build our lives and even more to protect it. And then the stuff we do have in our lives, the fruit of our labor, right? We're too busy, tired, and stressful to actually enjoy the things that we work for. God's calling us to live a different way. Dependent builders rest in God's provision. That that bread of anxious toil, meaning that that the fruit that you enjoy in your life, the things that you're working towards, do you actually have the time to to rest and and receive it and be grateful for what you have? That's why the Lord instituted a Sabbath, and how quickly we have shunned that as a Christian community and and made. A, I had about Oh, it's just another day to get more done. It's, it's part of my weekend. But do we actually pause and rest and reflect and grateful and live in God's provision? But now, hear me when I say this. This is not like the lazy loophole verse of like a, a pastor at church today told me to sleep more, so I ain't doing nothing today, right? We have responsibility. We have a job to do. God has put you in a position in your life. You should work, be the hardest worker at your job. You should take care of your homestead and what God has blessed you with but it is not an opportunity for us to to give up and and toil and just kind of work endlessly with no means, right? Work was not something that came as a result of the curse. Toil is what came as a result of the curse. Work has always been present in the life that God has intended for us, but the toil, the pain that will come from it, Anxious toil refers to work that is strenuous on the body and the mind. And it's a quote from the curse in Genesis chapter 3. The word translated toil here is the same word translated pain in Genesis 3. It refers to painful labor, toilsome. And so we, we toil to accumulate wealth. We fight against the curse. We deny our humanity by refusing to allow our bodies to get the rest that it needs all because we think it depends on us and what we can accomplish. We think we are the ones who are ultimately in charge of building our homes, building our lives, building our status, protecting what we have built, and accumulating the wealth necessary to build more and protect better. Solomon knew a little bit about earning a wage and working hard. In today's dollars, his estimated net worth is $2 trillion. That's trillion with a T. A billion is a thousand millions. Most of us would be content with one of those, right? But a trillion is a thousand billions. I can't even imagine that number in my bank account. And here's Solomon saying, it's all in vain unless the Lord is in it. Solomon was richer than the 400 richest Americans combined. And he said, it's all in vain. Get some sleep. Because sleep comes to know those who know they are loved, Blessed are those who know in their hearts that what they build, what they have to protect, and what they toil for is ultimately provided by the Lord and not man. This does not mean that people, again, who trust in the Lord are lazy, but it does mean that we can go to sleep at night knowing that whatever we did not accomplish that day, the Lord will provide in the lack. The Lord is the only one who has ever checked off every single thing on his to-do list. Because it takes dependence on the Lord to go to sleep at night, knowing that there's more we could do. And if I didn't have to sleep, think how much more I could accomplish. Think all the things I could do in the wee hours of the night. But instead, we have to shut down. We have to lay our head on our pillow and say, I trust you, Lord, with the rest. And the Lord is the one who says, I have it. I have it all. I've never lacked in that. We need to be dependent builders. And with dependency as a Foundation rather than being an independent builder, you are dependent upon the Lord to help you. We must also build intentionally. See, there's still work to be done. The Lord isn't saying, hey, be dependent upon me building like I'm gonna do it all, and you just kind of sit back and watch. No, there's work to be done. There's things you need to put your hand to. And there's a shift in verse three. See the first two emphasis put a uh, uh, the first two verses put an emphasis on God's role in building. And now in verse 3, we're going to see our role in building. Read verse 3 with me. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So Solomon's shifting. He's now going to talk about what really matters. So if building a house is in vain and trying to protect that house is in vain, What matters? Something that's not done in vain is raising children. That word heritage also refers to legacy. You want to build a legacy? Our culture is just consumed by the idea of can we leave a legacy that matters? Will people remember me when I'm gone? And here Solomon is saying, You want to build a legacy? Cherish children, love them. Focus on them, recognize that they are a gift, invest in them, raise them in the Lord. Spend your time building, protecting, and toiling over the raising up of the next generation. Anything else you spend your life on is probably worthless, empty, waste of time. Intentional builders need to, first off, be intentional with their family. Now quickly, before I lose anyone who is uh, single, not married, doesn't have children, unable to have children, or your children have already left the house, this is not uh, your kind of like chance to check out and do something else for the next few parts of this message. This is an invitation to you to be a part of this. It's a call to realize that the generation coming after you is of utmost importance and you are not somehow less of a Christian or less of a disciple maker if there are not kids directly in your home. And here's how I know this. When we look at the beginning of everything, God's first command to his people is to be fruitful and multiply. All right, that's the conservative way to say go make a lot of babies, right? And directly after the fall, God makes a promise That the hope to eventually defeat sin will happen through what? Eve's offspring, through her family. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the emphasis that is placed on a physical family. From Abraham comes the blessing of nations through his sons. From David comes the dynasty of kings, eventually resulting in the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the promise of crushing the serpent, fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of a family member. So what are you saying, Brent? I'm saying that the, Jesus fulfilled the purpose of such an emphasis on the physical family that we see in the Old Testament and that because of Jesus, there's a way now for us to be a part of the same spiritual family. That just because we all don't have the same last name, we are still all a part of the same spiritual family and that is the invitation to us here that we see in Psalm 127. If you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and you believe that He has paid the price for your sins, you have an invitation to be a part of His family. It says that you are a son and a daughter, an heir to Christ. And so, with that comes some family responsibility. We have an obligation to build up the family of God. We need dependent and intentional builders. I need intentional, dependent builders surrounding my family to help me raise my children. When you walk into this building on a Sunday morning, you walk into a disciple-making factory of all generations, and you have an opportunity, if not a responsibility, to pour in and to help raise the next generation, to make your legacy about that. Children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb is a reward so children matter greatly to god so they should matter greatly to us but the sad reality is that we live in a world and in a culture that does not view children as a blessing See, for the Jew during the time, children were the blessing. It wasn't like the children somehow brought a blessing upon that family. The children was the blessing because it meant a continuation of that family line and and a continuation of what the Lord was doing in the work of his people. It wasn't what God did for them after having kids. The child was God's blessing to them. But in our world, children are a curse for many. It means the death of a career, their concept of freedom from responsibility. And over, I don't even know the number anymore, over 60-some million babies have been treated, not just as a curse, but as, as a disease, as a parasite that needs to be removed. Children are a reward. Our culture would strongly disagree. And even with what has happened in our nation this week, we are going to continue to see the fight against the idea that children matter greatly. But I have confidence that if you follow Jesus Christ, you operate in, in a minority that says that children are a major blessing. They're the hope of the future. I'm not saying you're perfect parents and you've never needed a break from your kids or like just like, oh, that was, I was at youth group one week and it was way too much, right? I get that. But you would pledge yourself to say that, that children are a high priority. But I want to challenge you as I've challenged myself this week as a parent, that this is on a, on a spectrum, right? That there's the extreme that would say uh, a child's life doesn't matter in the face of conveniency or career, but then there's also the supreme devotion to your job, your wealth, your hobbies, or anything else other than the raising of the next generation. That's our failure to recognize the importance of children within the church, And again, not not to stand on a soapbox, but with everything that's happening in our nation, the church will have to rise up. If we say we are pro-life, we must rise up and help. We must show that we put a strong priority on children. Because why? Because children are from the Lord. They belong to him. Your kids are ultimately not your own. They belong to the Lord. And he has shared with you, he's entrusted you an opportunity to raise them. You are a steward of children. They're not a burden or second tier. If you are focusing on anything in your life with more effort than the raising of your children, then you are not an intentional builder. I read a book recently by a man named John Tyson called The Intentional Father. And he's an entrepreneur, sharp guy, successful in business, and he started to see that he could walk into a boardroom full of people and and make plans and cast vision and get people to move towards a common thing or sell a product or or just accomplish so much within his career, but then when he walked into his home, those same gifts that the Lord had blessed him with were not present at all in the way that he ran, ran his family. And then he started to recognize the deficit that his, his sons were at. And so he started to apply those same, same things. And I just wanna call us as, as believers in Christ that you have gifts and abilities that can be used in the life of the next generation. You can be effective disciple makers within your new home and within this church because of God. God's gift to you. Not everybody can be someone who stands on a platform and presents a message to a group of teenagers. Not everybody can be the person who runs around with kids and and shares the story of Jesus with them, but you can use your gifts in certain ways to bless the raising of the next generation. There's not a kind of like a loophole for you to get out of that. It's something God has designed you to do. And in verse four, Solomon elaborates on the power of being intentional with your family. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So children are a reward from the Lord, but they, they're also a weapon for the Lord. There's a simple truth when it comes to weapons, right? They can be disastrous in the wrong hands. The difference between handing a bow and arrow to a warrior versus a civilian is the warrior knows exactly how to use it. And he knows exactly how to use it in a way that will be effective in accomplishing what it's designed to do. When the warrior launches the arrow, he is confident that it will fly straight and true to its intended target. He's not just hoping and and praying as he launches, I hope I did enough. He knows exactly where that arrow is going to go. He's confident because of the countless hours he has spent training with that arrow. You do not become a skilled warrior without intentional focus. So, Intentional builders are intentional with our focus. The same way it takes intentional focus, discipline, and training to be a skilled warrior, the same is true when it comes into pouring into the next generation. See, you can launch an arrow and accidentally hit the target, but nobody accidentally made a disciple. A poorly maintained and a dull arrow will not fly true. It will not f- fly straight, but a well cared for and sharpened arrow will be extremely effective at accomplishing what it's intended to do. The same is true of our next generation. And you need to, you need to know that there are many things right now that are threatening to splinter and snap our arrows. I get the privilege of, of serving our middle school and high school students at Gospel City Church, and uh, the past two years I've spent doing that, um, there's an attack on them that they are facing. So here's, here's a couple obstacles I see facing them constantly. They are splintered in their sexuality. A couple stats that will be hard to hear, but you need to hear. The average age to view pornography right now is eight years old. So the, by, by the time that they reach middle school, many students are already addicted to pornography. And being sexually active is more widely accepted than ever before. Gender is no longer just a physical status, it's a social status. Questioning your gender and sexual orientation is is in vogue, which plants questions in the minds of students who, who wouldn't normally have them. And students who have real questions are now getting lost and dismissed because it's so heavily accepted. They're splintered in their sexuality. They're also splintered in their m- mentality. <laughs> Substance abuse is still at an all-time high. Vaping has made tobacco and marijuana consumption way more as- accessible at a young age. Depression and suicidal ideations are rampant and beginning at an earlier and earlier age. And at the core of it all, absolute truth is continuing to dangerously erode. Cries of living your truth, you do you, no judgment. It calls for an end of a moral standard in their life. There's no place to look to kind of get a plumb line or see where the horizon is anymore because everything is up and everything is down. Church family, we need to be intentional builders as we craft and sharpen arrows. And parents, you can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. The old phrase. It takes a village to raise a child. The church is not the primary disciple maker in your home. You are, but we as a church are called to partner with you and help you in your efforts of doing that. Here we are. The end of Psalm 127 says this in verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Antonio Cromartie played uh, a cornerback in the NFL. Um, he has 14 kids with eight different women. Antonio Cromartie is not a blessed man. <laughs> That's not what this verse means. You should only have one quiver, and it should be filled with the children that the Lord has blessed you with, right? It's not about the amount of children that you have. There's a specific blessing Solomon is referring to when it comes to having multiple arrows, and it comes in the form of Legacy what your children say about you. You see, to the same respect that if we build the wrong things, they will not last, our our legacy means nothing outside of what others will speak of you when they are gone. You can think you're building a legacy as much as you want, but unless your life has left a lasting impact on others who will carry that legacy and replicate it, then it's not truly a legacy. When Solomon writes, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There's not a, a true modern day equivalent. See, the gate was the place in the city where business happened and the men would meet and uh, things, disputes would be settled. And so if anyone had ever came against someone and said, hey, I think this is true, this sort of dishonoring, you did something wrong, uh, you're a terrible person, they would bring that to a group of men at the gates and present their case. And the only thing you had to defend yourself was people who would speak of your character. And so if there weren't eyewitnesses accounts, the best thing a man could offer was his children to say, no, that's not our dad. You're wrong. That's false. That's not who he is. That's the greatest defense a man had in that moment was for him to present children who would speak on his account. And when you think about building your legacy as you make disciples, having others speak highly of your character is worth its weight in gold. Parents, you can provide the nicest house, the greatest education, the finest clothes, cars when they turn 16, every amenity your child could ever wish for. But if they don't respect you or think you're a person of integrity, you have failed them as a parent. If my children look back on their childhood and can only recall the things I provided for them, not the person that I was, then I have tragically failed my children. Now, I'd rather when people ask who, who was your dad that can say he wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus. He loved our mom. He loved us. And he gave his life to the church to serve others. He had fun, but he was serious about the things that mattered. I remember a mentor in my life telling me to take my time to write my own eulogy, to think about, to to start with the end in mind and to work my, my way back. What do I want to be said at the end of my life? Who's going to stand up there? Will it be my my sons, my daughters? Will they say what I hope they would say? We should think the same way. This is not an advertisement for perfect parents who only show their kids the good stuff. See, parents and mentors are, are sinners too. The next generation, I tell you, as someone who works with the next generation a lot, they need to know right now that you struggled with things too that you didn't always have your life together, that you went through some of the things, things we, they did, that we made mistakes, we sinned, but that's part of not being put to shame because they'll know that we aren't perfect but that we're progressing, that the process of sanctification, this idea that our, our journey with Jesus doesn't start and end at salvation, it's just the beginning, and every day we're learning and growing more. So the last thing is to be intentional with our flaws. My parents modeled this for me so well, right? Being intentional with their flaws. I'm the youngest of three, and I'm sure they wish they did some things differently as parents, but my parents will not be put to shame because I've seen in their lives, and I'll testify to the grace of God in their life. Every morning, seeing my mom at the table, reading her Bible, watching my dad disciple young men and pour into people. That's the legacy they're leaving for me. And I pray that my life would continue as well. So be intentional with your flaws. Let them into the real parts of your life. And this is why we need the church. There were times in my life where I could not hear truth from my parents, but I could hear it from a youth pastor or my small group leader or an older man who came and said, hey, can I pour into you? Can we grab coffee sometime? So many of us are seeking glory and honor from our success in our careers, the houses we can buy, the wealth we can accumulate. And Solomon says it's all in vanity, right? We all understand that the billionaire who has children who are train wrecks, he's not worthy of honor, he's worthy of shame. The person who gets to the end of their life having spent no time or effort building into the next generation is worthy of shame, not honor. So if you want honor in your life, help build kids in the Lord. So let me ask you a few questions as we close. What, what house are you building? Your house might be a career, a hobby, a legacy, or it could be your family. But the question is, it's wherever you find identity, rest, and comfort, that is where your home is. Whatever you're doing that makes you feel at home, that is your house. What house are you building? Whatever the Lord builds will last, whatever, everything else will burn. And in that building, are you a dependent builder? Are you an intentional builder? What and where in your life do you need to tear some things down so that you can rebuild with the energy and focus on the right things? And lastly, my question would be, what will your legacy be? Are you crafting and sharpening arrows right now? If not, start now. If not, with your own kids, spend time pouring into the spiritual family God has provided you right here at community. And you will not be put to shame. You will find honor and you will build a legacy that matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in these words, there is truth that would resonate deep within our hearts that our life matters greatly not because of what we can accomplish, but because of uh, the legacy we'll leave behind that points to you. I pray that in everything we do, everything our hand finds, we would do it for the Lord and not for man. God, let that start in our families. Let it start in our church family. God, I'm thankful for a community right here in this area who is gathering together to glorify you by making disciples. And I pray we would continue dependently and intentionally with the strength that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I'm grateful. Thank you for letting me join you in worship with you. I pray you have a blessed week. You are dismissed. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.